Good evening. Good evening. Y'all probably used to start on time, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's raining this evening, but first day of fall. I think it started at 3.20 today. I don't know how they got that, but it did. So after this, I believe we're supposed to have some cooler weather come in. And uh, I do too. I'm, I'm tired of the heat. I work in a warehouse. I'm, I'm done with heat right now, so I'd, I'd rather have two shirts on than, <laughs> than anything else, so. Uh, now Pastor Scott uh, took a couple of days off. He's actually coming in tonight. I don't know where from. I didn't ask any questions when he said, do you want to? So I said, sure. And I didn't ask any more. So he just told me time and place. So I said, all right, I'll do that. But uh, I'm glad to be back with you. Um, I guess um, when we get to the end, ask Garrett for some names and stuff like that. And I'm not really good at writing on the board because why? I'm left-handed. When I write on the board, it looks like this. You know? <laughs> I just have to write really slow. So if, if we, when we do prayer requests at the end, if someone would write those down and give them to Garrett, I would, I would greatly appreciate that because I was going to bring a piece of paper and I forgot that one too. So but I didn't get my notes, so I think we're okay tonight. We're not going to be in Galatians. I'm not going to steal any of uh, Pastor Scott's thunder on that one. Actually, well... <laughs> Maybe a couple of thunders here and there, but you know, rather than that, I think we'll be all right tonight. We're actually going to be in Acts, Acts chapter 16. You want to go ahead and turn there. So before we begin, let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the rain uh, that you're giving us this evening, Father. Uh, we definitely needed it. Father, we just ask for safe travels for anyone who is still coming to church, Lord. Uh, we ask for you to open up our minds and hearts, Lord, so that we can hear what you would have to say to us, Lord. And Father, on our way home tonight, give us safe travels there until we meet again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk tonight about defining you. Defining you. And so I guess the first question that would come to mind is, what is the definition of Definition. Anybody? The definition of definition. You can interact, really. I don't know my bit. Make the lesson go a little longer. Interpretation. Interpretation. Okay. Saying what something means. Defining what something means. Absolutely. Explaining what something means. It could be a statement that gives a full picture. If you're defining something, giving a definition of someone or something. Uh, it can be in the form of words, as we're doing right now. You can define something with a picture. You can define something with concepts, as they do. Uh, there are items that instantly you'll probably think of in definitions when you, when you think of certain things. I'll, I'll probably start a small fight tonight, but that's okay. When I say chocolate, what would be a definition if you're going to define a company and you say chocolate, what would be the first company that would come to mind? Hershey's. Yes, I'm glad somebody didn't say anything else. Yeah, Hershey's. Absolutely. Computers. Now we might have a little fight here. You say computers, huh? Apple, Devil News. Dell. Dell. Oh, there you go. HP. Hewlett Packard. I know I said like Microsoft. That runs a lot of that. That runs that. But, but there's definitions. There's, there's corporations that are defined that. So I guess a good question now to ask would be what defines you? Find you. Child of God. Amen. Amen. That was rhetorical, but thank you for the answer. I appreciate that. Child of God. I was wanting you to think about that one a little bit longer, but that's okay. I like that answer. Child of God. 
Because something will ultimately define you. Whether you define yourself or others define you, you will be defined by something. What defines you? If you look at the church at Corinth, what were they defined as? Yeah, they were extremely immature. <laughs> they were so immature, Paul had to write them at least twice, and as far as we know, when you actually read the letters, there's probably at least four letters that he write. He had to write to the church of Corinth. They just kept getting things wrong. Extremely immature. Thessalonica, what about that church? Decent church. They were defined by their faith. How about the church of Philippi? Philippians, you think of joy. Joy, yes. They were, de they were defined by joy. Unfortunately, I think many churches today define themselves with issues. Let me give you some issues that some churches are defined by. Worship style. People will walk out if they do not like the worship style. The music. That's played in churches. Now, don't start meddling with us. Tonight. I'm not going to meddle with you tonight. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. I'm just going to go ahead and go through my notes real quick, okay? okay. Bible versions. I've always, I, I've always wanted to preach at a King James-only church. I am not King James-only. I, I will not even be reading from the King James tonight. I love the King James. I, I memorize King James. Amen. I like it. It's poetic. But I love to sit in front of the church that said King James only because I'd get up there, I'd read from the King James, I would close my Bible and say, I cannot say anything else. Because if I did, I would be redefining with the King James. I cannot sit here and say, and this means that, because that's what other versions of the Bible do. They get it from King James, is basically it's archaic languages now. If you truly read the King James, the 16, what, 1611 version? Good luck. Good luck in understanding that. But I'll get back to this. Bible versions. There's other things too that churches define themselves by. Well, what do you want to be defined by? What will eventually define you? If you look at the closing letter in uh, Corinth, Paul reveals something interesting that provides an insight of what actually defined Paul. Now, Paul was defined by what he believed. And what he believed, if you think about it, really fueled that engine, didn't it? Because that was a man of faith. Paul was defined by what he believed. And what he believed, if you start reading in everything, he believed in open doors. Now, not just any particular open door, but God authored opportunities of open doors that would accomplish God's plan wherever he was. Paul believed in open doors. Now, I want you to notice how this actually defined Paul. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10 right now. Since Paul believed in open doors, I believe, first of all, that Paul looked for open doors constantly. Acts 16, 6 through 10 says this. And they went to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's actually a good study, by the way, of why that actually happened. And when they had come to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, the region of Nigeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. So why did Paul find open doors? Why was he looking at this? When you read these verses, there's an open door that has just came open for them. Now, first of all, the first thing I want you to see is there, there was a door closed. What door was actually closed in those verses? Asia. When God closes the door, it is not our job to go knocking or to pull on it or to tug on it or to try to ram it down. Our job when God closes the door is to say, okay, you don't want me to go through there, do you? That's usually what a closed door means, is it not? It's closed and God closes it. He does not want you to go through it. They closed the door to Asia. God closed it. But he said, come over here. Not only that, the open door came when he gave him a vision. And the vision was the man from Macedonia. He says, come. We need you to come over this way for us. And if you've ever read about the man from Macedonia, what happened? Well, we're going to read a little bit about that, so I won't get into too much. But Paul really expected and he planned for open doors. He planned for open doors. I mean, you read through any of his letters that he wrote. Romans, Romans 1 through 13. I do not want to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. In other words, he is saying, I expect a door to be open to you soon. Then I intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. There's different reasons why he'd been prevented. One is because he kept getting thrown in prison or house arrest. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So in Romans, even when he was in house arrest, he's intending to go somewhere. He's expecting a door that God will open and he wants to walk through it. Romans 15, 28 says, Therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what have been collected. I will leave for Spain by way of you. So he's looking at future doors. I'm going to go to Spain, but until then, I'm going to take this detour for this door to come to you. Paul's looking for open doors constantly. Colossians 4.3 says, and at the same time, pray also for us, and he actually says it right here, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Why did Paul keep looking for open doors? Seems to me he keeps getting thrown in prison when he looks for an open door. That's the easiest thing that ever happened to Paul. That he got thrown into prison. Because of an open door. Why was Paul looking for open doors? One reason and one reason only. He looked for open doors to share the gospel. He wanted to share the good news. <clears throat> You know, when Paul was in prison, have you ever read the accounts that he was chained to the guard? Yeah. That's what Romans did a lot of times. They chain you up so you couldn't run too far. It, it, there's a guy at work. He's a, he's a gentleman that goes uh, to the church down there at, um, oh, where's that, Mount Sugar Creek. It's a big black church, and he's a deacon there, and I love speaking to him, and we just exchange ideas. And, uh, that might be it. Yeah, might, I think that's it. Um, and we exchange ideas. And I said, Roger. I said, have you ever thought of the fact that when Paul was getting chained up, that the prison guards, it's going to fall on 
that the prison guards would probably sit there and go, no, 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 I do not want that duty. No, do not chain me to that man. Have you ever wondered why? Because Paul saw an open door to a chained man. And the question I asked Roger, I was wondering, how many guards did he convert to Christ? We're going to find that out one day. Think about that. He saw being chained to a prison guard as an open door to say, hey, I can share a gospel. He had a captive audience. They could not leave. Amen. He could have preached for, he could preach longer than Scott. That, that's, that's saying a lot. And he'd have a captive Paul looked for open doors because he wanted to share the gospel. Now, Paul not only looked for open doors constantly, but Paul pursued open doors repeatedly. First notice that an open door is when people became open doors. Look at Acts 16. Look at verses 11 through 13. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage uh, to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and of the Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, I love that. We suppose there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who came together. And I'm going to stop there. And if you want to read forward, you're going to go ahead and get the answer to this. That's okay. Why was that place important? They could not go to Asia. So they had to go technically to Europe. That's where they're in. First place he's gone to. He didn't go to a synagogue. Where did he go? By a riverside. Not where men met, but where... Ladies, you should love this. Where women met. Why is this important? Why are people an open door? Because the first lady that responded to him, if you keep reading, was Lydia. Think about Lydia. She was a maker of what? What was purple back then? It's still a symbol of that. Royalty. She made clothing for royalty. Lydia... The first convert in Europe was a woman and probably followed Paul for a little while. <clears throat> Paul looked for open doors constantly. He looked for open doors repeatedly. He didn't take the same beat back. He said, no, what am I going to do? We're going to go over here with these ladies and speak to them. Ladies, that should be encouraging. He wanted to speak to women. You know why? Because you can get to a man's head easily. Very simple. You have a lot of control sometimes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and you actually do. But why, he, why God sent him there was because Lydia was there. And that door was open and Paul walked right through it. And he kept walking right through these doors. So first, notice that people became open doors. Secondly, notice that places became open doors. Look at 16 through 22. In, verse, and in Acts 17, look at 16 through 22. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked with him as he saw the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? That's how they describe Paul a babbler, which means what? He spoke a lot. That's why the Roman guards did not want to be changed to this man. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus 
and the resurrection. He's in a good place because they haven't heard of this person. And they took him in verse 19 and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Man, you talk about a chance for witnessing and an open opportunity and a door that just comes barreling open. There it is. Would you tell us about what you're talking about? Present that to us. And verse 20 says, For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22 says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. The place that became an open door for Paul was the Areopagus, a place of meeting. Now he went to the men. A place of meeting where men met to think, to talk. To exchange ideas, something that's foreign to today's culture. Is not, you cannot exchange ideas because if your idea is different from somebody else's idea, they'll, no, no, you can't talk about that. And especially the topic that Paul was talking about. And what was the topic that Paul was talking about? Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed today that if you mention, you can mention anything you want to. You can even mention religion if you want to. But as soon as you bring up the name of Jesus, then you hit a nerve. That shouldn't strike people as funny, peculiar, or anything. That should strike people as truth. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. And because they hate you because you're speaking to me, they don't hate you. They hated me first. When you take the name of Christ and you present it to a lost and dying world out there, unfortunately, we're living in a day and time where they don't want to hear it. That's okay. It's not your job to make them listen. It's your job to speak the truth in love. Speak Jesus in love. That's what Paul was doing. He went to a place with men and he just started speaking Christ in love. And like I say, in today's times, you really can't do that. I was reading a story on YouTube. I should have got the soccer player's name. The first soccer player in the world, the most renowned is Ronaldo. Or Does anybody follow soccer? I used to play it a long, long time ago, but there's a uh, good-looking young man that can play soccer really well. The, I think he is the highest-paid athlete in the world. The soccer player that's right beneath him, I forget what his name is, but you know what he's known for? Displaying his love of Jesus Christ. He wears it on a hand, headband, Jesus Christ. After this games and stuff, I'm going to give first of all thanks to my Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ. I mean, he'll say that, and that's what he does. Until a company came to him and says, we're going to offer you a contract. He'll be the second highest player right behind Ronaldo. I'll probably get his name wrong, Ronaldo. Yeah, right behind him. And he says, and we're going to give you a bonus too. You know what his bonus will be? Per month. This is in pounds. His bonus is this. If you do not mention Jesus Christ for a whole entire month, we'll give you 460,000 pounds per month. That's in his contract. Why? Why can't he mention the person he loves the most? They were gonna, they're gonna pay. Now he took the contract, and I hope he doesn't get a single bonus. He's rich enough, he doesn't need that bonus. I'm going to try to follow that story. See if he gets any of the bonuses. 
Uh, Dana, what's his face? The uh, head of the MMA fighting me. Chelsea's fighters, huh? Dana White. Thank you, Dana White. I got his first name. I didn't say it. That's okay. I watch MMA. I'm sorry. I do. I watch it every now and then. I, I, I used to take karate. I like to watch him fight. Um, it's a little bloody, just to let you know sometimes. Um, he t he's, he's telling his fighters, like, he, he's not made it official, but he is telling his fighters verbally, I don't want you mentioning Jesus in your interviews. Can I mention Buddha? Can I mention Confucius? Can I mention Muhammad? Can I mention anything else? Apparently you can. You just can't mention Jesus Christ. We live in a world today where you cannot do that. Paul, however, saw that people and places are open doors. Wide open. Today, they still are. Don't be intimidated by what you see and what you hear. You keep preaching the word. Finally, notice that even problems became open doors. Now, this may touch on... Remember, I'm not talking to you. The Holy Spirit is, so if you have a problem with this, I'm not sorry. Acts 23, 10 and 11 says this. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down, take them away from them by, uh, by force, and bring them into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So Paul, once again, preaching. Again, what, what are some other things that y'all know that happened to Paul when he was preaching? Tell me some other things. Shipwrecked a few times. Stoned. Stoned a few times. Almost to the verge of death. And there's one episode where in the Bible there's a lot of writing. Did he die or did he not die? He was either beaten three or five times. He was beaten quite a few times. Absolutely. So the prison thing for Paul, that's the easiest round. Prison? Yeah, put me in prison. That's fine. I got people I can talk to in prison. Got him. But when he's in this one, the Lord came to him and said, Take courage. You testify me about in Jerusalem, you're also going to testify about me in Rome. Acts 24 24 says this After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul to hear him speak about his faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to read you that story. It's actually found, if you want to, in Acts 25. You can read this chapter real quick. It's an interesting story. So this is when Paul was in Rome, preaching, got pulled aside and for his own protection thrown into prison. In chapter 25, in Acts says this, Now when Festus had come to the province after three days, he went up to Caesarea, to Jerusalem, then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So first of all, they wanted to kill him, and since Festus says no, their next plan is to do what? Let's throw up some accusations against him. I want some of y'all to come down. We'll throw up some accusations against him. Verse 6. And when he remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come to the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, stood about and laid many serious complaints 
Now my, now my version says serious complaints in verse 7. Do we have any other words rather than serious complaints? Grievous. Grievous complaints? Charges. Charges? Anything else? Serious accusations. I've noticed nobody's copy says anything about not accusations, not complaints. I don't see anything saying the truth. Nobody has any version that says, and they threw some truth at Paul that he did these wrong things. No, serious complaints. Well, I can complain. Complaining's really easy. I can look around and complain about a lot of things. Right now, I can complain about this. I have LASIK surgery. This eye right here sees close. This eye sees far away. If I look over here, y'all are a little blurry. If I turn like this, I can see clearly. I can complain about that. They say it's going to get better within the year. Woo-hoo. I'm hoping it does. You can complain about it. It's easy to complain because by nature we're sinners. It's really easy to complain. And they're throwing serious complaints and serious accusations against them, but they have really nothing on him. So let's continue. And while he answered for himself, uh, in verse 7, and when they had, uh, came down, they stood about serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. I was like, y'all can throw at me and whatever you want to. I've not broken any law. Verse 9. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, what is he doing? What do you call that when you try to nosy up to somebody and want to do them a favor? Because this won't be the first time he's doing it. We're going to read it again. He's going to try to do this again. Brown nosing. Brown nosing, yeah. You can say, call it brown nosing, rubbing shoulders. Sick of fan. Sick of fan, okay. <laughs> you can use that word too. Wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. Like I answered, Festus, I stand at your judgment seat. I'm going to stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. Get this right here because we're going to come back to this one. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. And Vestas, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came down to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face, and has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things I supposed, but had some question against him about their own religion and about certain Jew about a certain Jesus who had died whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. So what was Paul accused of? It was laid right there, plain as day. 
He's preaching Jesus Christ. I believe it is said in the Bible that there is nothing new under the sun. You preach Jesus Christ today, you'll still get accused. I just gave you some examples of that. I remember being in this church. I was in this church as a youth. I got baptized. At, well, when there was a baptismal right there, I got baptized right there. Um, yeah, it'd be sort of hard these days. Uh, the day I got baptized is when my parents uh, decided to come to Pitts, and then from that day on, they joined and never left. But um, I, I grew up here, and of course, when I grew up in school, um, there were certain things that were coming about in school. If I remember correctly, they still had announcements. They, you could still, you, the, we still did the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And if I'm not mistaken, we prayed. And I went to school in high school from 80 to 84 and 55. But I saw things coming about. I debated with my evolutionary, evolutionary teacher in physical science. I, I said, no, don't believe that. not going to believe that. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you say things that, you know, that's an opinion, that's your opinion, that's not my opinion. I wasn't very good at it, but at least I could. I knew what I believed. I couldn't uh, defend my. I can defend myself now. Um, I wish I could see my science teacher again and defend myself. But but now, and I remember being in a Sunday school class, and we were discussing something. And I remember saying, you know, it's going to come to a point one day where they're going to take prayer out of school. Well, they didn't. What they did is they uh, took prayer out of school. They took the Ten Commandments out of school. I mean, God forbid you actually have something there to tell you what to do that's morally correct. And we see where we've gone since then. It just kept going downhill and downhill and downhill. So when people say, well, why do you homeschool? I said, well, look at the schools. As far as I know, there's never been a shooting in a homeschool. Never. As far as I know, every curriculum that we have at my house is from a Christian institute. Be it Bob Jones, be it uh, Agape, we, we use a few. But there have been problems that have been just facing everything because you can't even mention Jesus Christ in school. Now you can do a lot of other things. I'm not even going to get into them because they anger me a little bit. I'll admit that. They anger me. Because parents have not set their children down and told them what is right and wrong. Okay, I'll get into one, but then stop me because I could get on the roll and I don't want to do this. <laughs> it angers me when a parent can't tell his child it's a boy or a girl. That frustrates me. They need to know. They're looking for boundaries. And if you don't give them any, they'll run off the road. Boundaries are not there to hem you in and to keep you really tight and, and you know, uh, they're there to keep you safe. That's why guardrails are on mountains. They're not there to hem you in. They're there to say you don't fall off the side. There's a lot of children falling off the side. When the Bible says, like in the days of Noah, I have my own theory on that, and I believe there's some people that will back me up on this. There's a lot of things that happened in the days of Noah. Where everything was evil. But I always told my congregation this. 
it will be when the children have no hope. Because if the children have no hope, remember what Jesus said, suffer not the little children to come unto me. Your parents may be out of the way and you may believe what you want to believe, but let the children come to me. And when they have no hope, I believe that's when you'll start seeing the birthing pains even harder and harder. Alright, I will stop there. What verse did I stop on? Did y'all keep up with me? Because uh, I didn't. Uh, where was I? 20. <laughs> Let me see if I can find 20. Ah, in 20, where am I at? 26, 20, 20, 20. Here it became, I was uncertain of the question. Okay, there we go. Uh, but when Paul appealed uh, to be uh, reserved for the decision of Augustus, which is Caesar, I commanded him to be kept, uh, kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So Paul's stubbornness, Paul in a predicament, in a problem, is going to get to witness to two men of high authority. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice had come in with great pomp, all in circumstance, they, 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 they're doing the royals thing, and had entered the auditorium with the, command, uh, with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, and Festus commanded Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa, and all the men who were present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me. I think he probably exaggerated just a little bit, but he said the whole assembly. Both at Jerusalem here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. The Jews crying out that this other Jew, who was a Jew above all, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, he knew the law, was not fit to live because he was preaching Jesus Christ. How in the world did that hurt them? It wasn't hurting them physically. They could have walked away. So mentally they could have said, ah, that's an old fool, isn't he? And they could have just walked right out. How was it actually hurting them? It was hurting their heart. They knew it. They didn't want to hear the truth. It says it's hurting us. Um, uh, but when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. Once again, rubbing shoulders, King Agrippa. So that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. In other words, Festus had nothing on the man. He couldn't get anything on the man. He invited Agrippa to rub shoulders with him and say, Oh, by the way, you need to write his accusation since he's going to Caesar. I'm going to wash my hands of this. Because I don't see anything wrong with this man. <clears throat> Verse 27, For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify the charges against him. <laughs> There's not a charge. I can't lay a charge on this man. Why don't you lay a charge on this man? We get back to the fact that Paul saw problems as an open door. Do you know this problem would not have occurred if we had stopped halfway? And that, I told you to pay attention to what I'm saying right here. Halfway, what did Paul say? I appeal to Caesar. If he had kept his mouth shut, guess where Paul would have been right now? Scot free had no charges on. Paul knew they had no charges on. He told them you have no charges on me. You can't hold me. I've done nothing wrong. I know the law. But he did know the law. He studied the law. But yet Paul saw a problem as an opportunity. 
He says, they've got me. They have no charges or accusations against me. How can I make this go one step further? And what did Jesus tell them in the vision? You're going to witness in Rome. Well, who better to witness in Rome than to Caesar? What do you think about it? If you're going to go witness to another country, who do you want to witness to? If somebody from another country wanted to come over here and witness to the highest person in the land, unfortunately, it is the president right now. It would be Mr. Biden. I'll stop. But he needs to be witnessed to. Trump needed to be witnessed to. Barack needed to be witnessed to. Clinton, Bush, Clinton, let me go backwards. That one needed to be witnessed to. And Paul said, if he just kept his mouth shut, no, I see this problem as an opportunity. How many of us can actually sit here and say that today? I see this problem as an opportunity. I see this door opening to my destiny. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to say. I see God in this. I see God opening these doors for me. Let's take it one step further. Let's take it one step further. So hard to see sometimes when you're in a situation. Absolutely. <laughs> what the opportunity would have been. You're right. Absolutely. You're right. But Paul expected. Oh, go ahead. Paul was going to Rome and the government was paying for it. And there you go. <laughs> you gotta love it. <laughs> I'm gonna be taxed. Go ahead. As with all these pontiffs uh, or Yes, yes. This hierarchy. Mm hmm. They traveled, they had a horde with them. Mm -hmm. So whenever these assemblies took place where they were here, Paul wouldn't just get these people, but he could get all the people around them. Get the crowd. And, and Rome, Caesar, everybody. That's right. Everybody will be in Caesar's court. I mean, he went from, you know, preaching in the amphitheater to go preaching in, you know, the Houston Astrodome or something like that. That's what he's about to do. And it's possible he witnessed to the Praetorian soldiers. Oh, absolutely. Who took care possible, of possible he did. Who took care of Nero? Yeah. Oh, Nero might have heard the gospel story through these soldiers. Yeah, he might have heard it. He's going to be responsible for that. We know that. Yeah. But Paul saw a problem as an open door. There were no charges brought against Paul. Paul could have demanded that the charges be brought against him, but they'd release him. He didn't demand that. Instead, he let this problem become an opportunity to share the gospel all the way to Caesar. Paul not only looked for open doors constantly, Paul pursued open doors repeatedly, and finally, Paul experienced open doors frequently. In Acts 14, uh, 26 and 27, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been uh, commended to, to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the, this last word's very important because it's us, to the Gentiles. That's where Paul eventually go. He, he wanted to preach to the Gentiles. Frequently preach to the Gentiles. You know, we need to be people who define ourselves as those who look for Pursue and experience God's open doors. We're doing a Bible lesson in Sunday school right now. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans about destiny. Your destiny lies in an open door. 
Because God will open doors to get you to your destiny. Now, he's not going to take you to your destiny until you're ready. He's going to form you. And we've gone through the story of Joseph and how many times, I mean, he was thrown into the pit, got out, was a slave, went to Potiphar's house, into the men in Potiphar's house, wife accused him of rape. Uh, Potiphar's, I don't think Potiphar actually believed his wife. He, you can tell in the story, he never says he, when he's angered, who he's angered at. He was angered at his wife. And then he finally got thrown into prison. And Joseph just kept saying that destiny come up and then disappear, come up and disappear. Finally, he had two people he could speak to in prison and interpret their dreams. And the only thing he asked, he said, remember me. Guess what? They didn't remember him. <laughs> they didn't remember him. How many of us, if we lived through the story of Joseph, would have stopped at the pit and said, I'm done, Lord. <laughs> I'm done. Just throw me, throw, I'm throwing in the towel. So right, maybe one more time. Oh, look, I'm now the head servant of Potiphar. The only person ahead of me is Potiphar. And, you know, everything's going well. Oh, no, I just got accused of rape. I'm done, Lord, throwing the towel. All right, I'm in prison. Oh, look, I'm the head of the prison. Everything's going well. I got two people here that are going to go in front of the king. I'm going to tell them about their dreams, and all they have to do is remember me. And they didn't remember him. How many of us would have thrown in the towel? But God was getting an immature... I don't think he was bratty. I never thought he was bratty. I just think he was immature. God was getting that immaturity out of him. God was showing him that, hey, those visions that you had, I'm getting you ready and prepared for that. And then when he was finally ready, and when he was finally prepared, then God brought him to his destiny. Because Joseph kept going through the open doors. And any time he could have said, no, that's not the door, I'm not walking through the border. It's too hard. It's too hard. We need to be people who look for, pursue, and experience God open doors. But in order to do that, first of all, we have to recognize that open doors actually exist. How many of y'all believe that God's opened doors for you? I'm not saying you walk through them. I, there's a couple of doors that I should have walked through. I did not walk through all the minute. Open doors actually exist. Open doors are pursued only by those who believe they exist. Now that would make sense, wouldn't it? So if you open doors are only there if you believe that God is opening doors for you. Because if you don't believe that God's opening doors for you, you're on another detour that God's trying to bring you through to say, I'm opening doors for you. Well, let's get there. And then open doors are experienced only by those who are defined by their belief in God's opportunity. Have you missed a couple of God's opportunities? I have. I missed a couple of God's opportunities as pastoring. It gets hard sometimes. But that's what this is for. To have people around you, to encourage you, to read God's word, to encourage you about the open doors. So this is the conclusion. What defines you? What defines you? <coughs> Are you looking, pursuing, and experiencing God's open doors for you? I hope so. If not, at least let this be the first step to saying, hey, God has something for me in store. No matter what you're going through, no matter what pit you may be in, no matter what prison you may be in, no matter what you're facing, know God has something in store for you. And according to Jeremiah, what is it? I know the plans that I have for you. Are they plans for bad? No. That's for good. God has something in store for you. What will you let define you? 
Because trust me, if you just keep banging from one side to the next, just avoiding everything that's around you, because you don't want to be defined by that, trust me, you will be defined. You know, life's a river, a flowing river. And our job is to paddle. We have to paddle. And we have to paddle and paddle and paddle. And it's a little hard sometimes, especially if the water's coming really hard. But what some people believe that they can do in life is to stop paddling. I like it where I am. I think I'll just sit right here. What's the problem with that? The first thing was, life is like a river that's flowing. If you stop paddling in a flowing river, are you going to sit still? You start backing up and backtracking. I believe some of us start backing up and backtracking when we see an open door that God has and goes, nah, I think I'll go this way. You don't believe me? Ask Jonah. I think he'll give you a good <laughs> definition of not going through an open door that God has opened for you. Any questions? Time Scott usually stop. I know he's pretty long-winded. He probably goes 15 more minutes, doesn't he? I'm not going to go 15 more minutes. <laughs> Any questions for tonight? Yes, sir. When you said that, you know, Holy Spirit told him not to go here or there. Right. Um, uh, my friend, uh, he, he wanted to go to uh, Iran to be a, a missionary. He had a real burden for Muslims. Mm -hmm. This was years ago, but Khomeini close the door. Right. Would that be the same as God closing the door? I mean, if that's somewhere he wanted to go, maybe that's not where he... But he, he wanted to uh, teach Muslims, so he went to Kenya and was there for right. 19 years. So he still had that burden for the Absolutely. Muslim, you know? and, yeah. and also, there uh, Barbara Livingston, she's related to the, uh, the original David Livingston. Right. And she had a burden. She wanted to be a missionary to China. But as she was just ready to go, Mao Zedong couldn't go there. So she was China. 35 years in Formosa or Taiwan. Would you say that would be God closing the door, right? And God obviously wanted to the detour somewhere else. Yeah. Absolutely. Because um, we're going to end our prayer tonight when we pray, uh, and after we get all the prayer requests. I'm going to ask God to do something a little unusual because I'll end it up. I'm going to ask you to actually open your eyes at the end of the prayer. And I'm going to close it up with your eyes open. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. And I'll tell you why we're going to get to that. Why well, do I tell you to you now? There's a door. There's a door. And there's a door. The mission fields are beyond the doors. You want a mission field? You don't have to go to China to see Asian people. There are plenty of them out here. You don't have to go to Iran to see Muslim people. There are plenty of them out here. Now, there are more, true, but the ones that God may want you to are right through these doors. I think a lot of times we, we hem ourselves in. But God does open doors. He absolutely does. And if your destiny is still, if God has something for you to do, He'll keep you on the path. Because He's a good Father. I know that when I was um, doing my hospital visits, uh, there was a lady. Y'all may, may know her, not after. Some of y'all may know not. She's passed away now. But uh, she, she always had trouble breathing. And she was a prayer boy. I loved her. 
She came up to me, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you and your family. <coughs> I love that. Pray for your pastor. Um, but she was in the hospital one time. And the doctors, I mean, she was on the mask, and just, and the doctors were outside. They didn't think she had long to live at all. Family was just, they were all out of sorts. So I went over there to visit them, and she was sitting there, and she, she was in the bed, she had that mask. And I walked up to her, and I was just whispering in her ear. I said, Miss Nana, if God has something for you to do, you're not going anywhere. And I told her family that. I said, if God has something left for her to do, she's not going anywhere. Why is it that we pray so many prayers to keep saints out of heaven than we do to keep sinners out of hell? You know what I'm saying, don't you? Our family definitely want her back. Of course they want her back. But we pray so hard for our family, especially when they're saved. We're praying to keep them out of heaven for a little bit longer. That's fine. I understand. But you pray just as hard for the sinners to stay out of hell. Now, it had nothing to do with what I said. But a week later, she's off the mask. Two weeks later, she's out of the hospital. And two months later, she's back in church. God has something for her to do. That doesn't work all the time. Because <laughs> God may be saying, come to me. I'm ready. Where's your destiny at? If God has you ready to do something, he's going to open those doors wide open. 